Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. Welcome to your lovely Thursday, the 20th. Yes. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's been an interesting day of coaching calls, lots of um, strategy and... I kind of sometimes call it adventures in real estate. In fact, we went to uh, almost an hour in Premier Coaching today because so much was going on. Hubba hubba. So as always, guys, every podcast is going to consist of three parts. The first one is any relevant news that we discovered that we think might be uh, directly applicable to your businesses. And frankly, I think Miss Julie has a really great story to, yep, she does. So we're going to talk about something that will hopefully make all of you guys feel really great. Um, and then we obviously share with you anything that's going on that we're discovering from all of our frontline leaning agents across the country and Canada. And for those of you who are listening to us in Europe and around the world, welcome. You are listening to the nations, or at least United States, is number one real number one daily real estate podcast. So thank you very much for joining us. This agent uh, is an agent centric uh, podcast. We're obviously focused on real estate agent growth, real estate broker growth, but also any small businesses and small business entrepreneurs. We have a lot of folks in that genre also. So thank you. You found the right place. Hopefully we're going to provide information that's going to put you in a position to help other people. We always like to offer drilled down, you know, practical, tactical, put yourself in a position to help people today, make money type information. And today is no exception. And Julie has got some great notes prepared for all of you guys about when it's time or when you know it's time to fire a client. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) All right. So before we get to that, Julie, I love this headline from Forbes. Yes, the great American housing boom has begun. What? How about that for a headline? How are you kidding That's me? Hold right. on. I know, and we we are pushing hard for this to be the renaissance, the second half That's of right. uh, 2020. And certainly it's starting with the housing market. This is great news for all of you guys. All right, so uh, this is a Forbes magazine, and the author writes, What if I told you that U.S. housing is one of the best money-making opportunities today? You'd think I'm crazy. After all, how can anyone think it's a good bet right now in the middle of a global pandemic? He goes on to say, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to show you the facts. Now, this this follows very closely to many of our podcasts where we've been pointing out why things are continuously good. And it really is a story of supply and demand. So he talks about the housing market is worth $35 trillion and is currently booming. The past month, new home sales surged 55%, the biggest gain since 2005. The number of Americans refinancing jumped 111%. And Quicken Loans, which is the currently the U.S.'s uh, largest mortgage lender, had its best quarter in 35 years. They uh, funded a record of $120 billion in home loans. Uh, it broke the record for its best lending year, which uh, previously was six months ago. So let's <laughs> see. Uh, there's a big squeeze happening. It talks a lot about the supply and demand, that uh, demand continues to outpace supply. A flood of home buyers rushing into the market. It talks about how um, you know people have been thinking about millennials as kids for years, and in fact, the median age of millennials, uh, as well as the first-time homebuyers, about 31, 32 years old. Um, let's see. According to NAR, four in ten homebuyers was a millennial. 
And recent Realtor.com found millennials' share of mortgages surpassed 50% in the, in the spring. Also, a first wave of younger, even than that, home first-time home buyers. Um, and then all the home building stocks are doing well as also. So Do you know we started taking on our first yeah. coaching clients when we were 30 and 31? I know. Isn't that funny? I was I just thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, now but we're... this was a great article. And, you know, right. I, I was talking to some of our coaching clients about using some of this kind of information. You know, we post a lot of great stuff on our website, timandjulieharris.com. You guys can use those articles to show some of your sellers that maybe are on the fence right now. Should I wait? What's going on with the market? These things all support the fact that they're going to net the most right now. You know, everybody's used to saying, now's a great time to sell. Now actually is a great time to sell, and you can prove it. So, Well, so the, the article that you guys should read really drills down. It's essentially mirroring what we've been telling you on our podcast the last two weeks. I'm not suggesting Forbes went and listened to our podcast. I'm pretty sure that they didn't. <laughs> it seems like it but it, it is basically what we've been saying. And this is the reason that Julie and I have been, you know, we've been essentially hoping for the best, but trying to, our best to prepare all you guys for the worst. Because there's really no downside in being and uh, thinking that way in life in general, right? Your worst case scenario, you're overprepared and things mm-hmm. get better. But here's the thing that the variable that nobody can really, you know, the calculus doesn't work. And just bottom line is there's never been a time in the history of history where a government has essentially pumped in um, this much money to make up for the stopgap for the money that wasn't getting spent because of the shutting down of the economy because of the coronavirus mm-hmm. and all the unemployment and all the things that basically you know happened as a result of that and they continue to fall out. So the dominoes that would have uh, started falling quite quickly back in you know March and in essence in April especially they didn't they started falling and then the government immediately stepped in and stopped them from falling and all the you know the CARES Act the PPP loan the EIDL loan enhanced unemployment but the big one as far as all of us are concerned us being real estate folks, are the forbearances in the, you know, essentially they stopped the foreclosure train from leaving the station. And Julie and I were predicting that there would be no reloading of the train. It's going to stay stopped probably forever. And it, when there is some sort of um, lifting of the moratoriums on foreclosures and when the, you know, uh, the all the forbearances and what start running their course, probably sometime the end of next year, most likely, you're then going to see the banks with the force, you know, the government's going to force the banks, at least, you know, the most, as much as they can to provide graceful exits for people out of their houses that just plain can't afford their homes. Look, we can argue forever about the, you know, the nature of the long-term ramifications of this much government intervention. But look, short term, by short term, I mean at least maybe a year to two years, we're not going to see a, a precipitous collapse in housing. Now, what this article did is they did a great job of explaining, as again, we've been explaining on our podcasts for the last you know four months, why we didn't think there was going to be a huge drop in house values. And really, the real basic reason why is because of the demographics. When you look at this many you know, millennials that are going to be at the point where they're going to start forming families, they're not going to want to live in mom's basement for much longer. I mean, that definitely kills the mood when it comes to baby making, I would assume. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right? And then you have you have Generation Z that's quickly following. And those yep. people, if I remember correctly, are, what, in their mid-20s now? Mm-hmm. And it, look, just life moves on, right? My People start forming families and, um, you know, wanting to buy houses and all the other things that happen in life, no matter what's going on in the economy. So don't think just because the economy is going one direction or another, you're going to see a complete stopping yeah. to people's lives. It doesn't work that way. And then on the other side of the uh, the, uh, the spectrum, if you want to call it that, you have all the baby boomers that are now uh, that are downsizing and all the da 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 It's endless. 
And so will there be a huge drop in home values? We don't think so. And matter of fact, Julie and I are still on the fence of believing that there's going to be a continued increase in the cost of housing, call it inflation, because that is really what it is. And demand continues to right. be extremely high. That's right. So we could be, as Julie and I were hoping, and you guys can listen to our past podcasts, we actually could be at the very beginning stages of what will be an, a, a virtual, or you know, I said virtual, knowing because so much has moved online, but at the start of a renaissance, and a renaissance in the sense that it's going to be a new age of an enlightenment. And I know I'm you know, kind of stretching the definition here to make it relevant, but all the wonderful things that are going to come as a result of this new economy that's forming, these new lifestyles that are being forced to, you know, people are adopting to, all these things we talk about every day on our podcast, be excited about it because we really do feel and we are seeing more and more evidence that what comes next will for some people definitely be scary. But for most people, it's going to result in a much better quality of life overall. Jules? Yes, absolutely. And we're seeing this. Our coaching clients are experiencing it. And you know that they have these varied experiences, right? So maybe the contract you wrote today for your buyer was knocked down, drag out, competitive. You had to do all kinds of crazy things to get your deal accepted. But at the same time, you're sitting there with a couple of what can only be described as probably overpriced listings if they're not experiencing the same thing on that end. So uh, lots of different things going on. Uh, one of the things that I hadn't heard before from last week was uh, one of our clients had an active listing and, you know, when they took it, it sounded like the seller was nice and motivated, but now they're not giving a price reduction because they called their lender, their deals in forbearance, their job's a little shaky. And the lender said, don't worry, you don't have to do anything about it till spring. So this came down to trying to motivate somebody that's not motivated to move, right? Because they're not making any payments right now. Their job's a little bit shaky. So that might not be a great listing right now if they're not willing to price it right and move on. Um, you know, so the question for somebody like that becomes, uh, you know, your payoff is still increasing. You, right. You know, you still have to do the numbers and you still have to do a net sheet and see whether moving now is still better than moving later. That's right. So that kind of strategy and thinking it out hasn't been in the market for a long time. And it's causing some consternation. So um, that's one thing. Now, if we want to shift to the coaching stuff and our topic du jour. But let's, before we do though, I want to just kind of shine light on something. Some of you guys, all of us really, uh, we all think too small. And by too small, I mean, literally, geographically, we're thinking too small. If you have a license in a state, you can sell real estate any place in that state. And a lot of times that state will also have, what's it called with other states? Where they Re- can- Reciprocity. Reciprocity, right? Now, why am I telling you this? Because you're going to start seeing your buyers and your sellers because they can start, well, you know, your buyers primarily, because they can work virtually. They're not just going to look the next town over or two streets over or a bigger house in the same subdivision. They're going to start expanding their search criteria because of the fact that they want to move further out. Maybe, you know, the the big movement uh, is going to definitely continue to be away from the heavily uh, dense urban areas. And you have all the reasons why you guys already know about. There's obviously the, the effects of the pandemic and there's social unrest and all that. But the real reason, the long-term reason is, is because people want to have better quality of lives. They want to have room around them. They want to have room to breathe. They want to have room to play with their families. That's the real essence of the, the big transformation that's taking place. So people before maybe were willing to settle for living in some place that didn't have any outdoor space that was theirs. But now you're going to see the resurgence of gardens and backyards and people buying. But if you live in a really expensive part of the country, as a lot of you guys do, 
you know, those houses are too expensive. So people are going to be going further and further out and maybe in an an adjacent state where there's reciprocity. Start opening your mind to the Mm -hmm. fact that most all of us, you included real estate agents, especially if you're working with a great company like eXp Realty, you're going to be able to work virtually. You're forever going to be working virtually and starting to do listing presentations and buyer presentations and house showings virtually. That is the new reality, even post-pandemic right? Because that's going to be an expectation that people have. So open your mind to it. And I was doing some homework for um, the sake of an article, actually, about all the different Oculus type devices, because I think I can definitely see a point where you're going to have a lot of of these virtual Zoom type experiences being moved to some kind of, um, you know, literal 3D type environment, you guys who play video games, which I don't know what I'm talking about, that's probably going to be the next generation. Maybe it's going to happen next year or the year after that. But that the technology momentum uh, towards everything being virtual is going to, that, that rate of change is going to increase exponentially like nothing we've probably ever experienced in our lifetimes. And what, you know, mentally and emotionally, we're all conditioned for things to take a certain amount of time before we have to adapt, right? You usually have maybe two or three years, you have some breathing room, you know, the early adopters, all the phases of acceptance, all those types of things. Well, I think all that stuff's out the door now because what we're going to see is that basically the situations of people's lifestyles and, um, you know, all the rest of it, you're going to see things that normally would have taken 10 years for people to adopt to, uh, adapt to. It, it's going to happen inside six months, like it is this year. So 2020, a lot of things that we're having, the changes that are taking place is a permanent rewiring of the expectations that all of us have for our lives in good ways and in bad ways. I'm not saying it's all, you know, but we're natural optimists as a lot of you guys are. Otherwise, you'd never be so crazy to get a real estate license, right? You know, but going forward, be very encouraged by what you're hearing and what you're reading and look for the look for the ways that you can adapt your own business and your own mindset so you can be of service to more people. Now, with that said, the good que- the big question that Julie's presenting all of us with is when is it time to fire a client? Yes, this has been coming up from time to time, and that can be firing a buyer client or firing a listing client, which sounds kind of radical to some of you guys. I mean, listings are, are hard, hard won, fought for. Why would you ever want to let one go? So when is the right time? When is it okay to break up with a client? Okay, so there are several things to help you remember. One is, you know, there's a saying that we used to have, when you want the deal more than they do, and you just keep banging your head into the wall trying to get something to work out for them. That can be on the listing side. It can also be on the buying side. So that's these are just little mindset things, and we're going to drill down on a couple of other points here. Anything you want to add to that? Nope. Okay. So when might it be good to break up with a client? If they won't do what it takes to buy or sell. And again, that's kind of like you wanting the deal to happen more than they do. So that could be a seller that has unrealistic pricing. It could be a buyer that just wants to keep on lowballing and just hope that something sticks on deal number 16, okay? So they won't do what it actually takes to be successful. And that gets down to they're not coachable, you know? They're being a little blockheaded in spite of your best efforts, in spite of your scripts, your stats, everything that you've done that's logical. They're just not being coachable. And really, trying to motivate the unmotivated, that's a tough thing as well. But before you're going down that path and labeling them as uncoachable, unmotivated, blockheaded, won't do what it takes, ask yourself first, did you educate them? So it's not fair to get all upset about a buyer that doesn't come in at full list if that's what your market demands. 
if you haven't first educated them about what it takes to actually buy a house and you're just being pushed around doing whatever they ask you to do. So generally when a buyer knows things like the list to sell price ratio. So in your market, maybe things are selling for 101% list price. Maybe in your market, it's only 95%, but if they're gonna come in at 85% and think they're going to win, that's your fault for not educating them that that's the way to lose. Does that make sense, Tom? It does. You know, you, it's like blaming your kid for breaking a rule that they didn't know existed. Well, but Julie, you're touching on all the things essentially that we teach them in coaching because when the, one of the aspects of our coaching program is obviously we geared mostly towards teaching you guys how to be powerful listing agents. But when it comes to the buyer side, you do need a presentation on your buyer side of the transaction too. Right. And most of the problems that you're going to run into, your frustrations are going to be self-created because you did not set realistic expectations when you started with those buyers. You did not follow a set of rules. You just essentially, you know, you want to call on that? You want to see that house? I'll, let's go see the house. I'll do a virtual tour. We'll pop over. It's vacant. In other words, the, la the informality in which you conduct your business results in very inconsistent, frustrating results. That's right. And then agents get mad about that. Yeah. And then you blame the buyer, whereas you're really your fault. Exactly the point we're trying to make here. So yes, in some circumstances, it's appropriate to break up with a buyer or a seller, but you've got to have a little gut check first. Is it your fault? that they're acting that way. Maybe it's overpriced because you really, if we come down to it, you've been kind of lucky on your previous listings because the market saved your butt in the fact that you don't really know how to price anything. And this time the market's shifting on you and you were wrong. Well, you know what? This, it's not the seller's fault. You got to present them with the facts. They're either going to price it adjusted or they're not. Um, so how do you educate your clients so you don't get into this trouble? I mean, ideally, you're going to sift and sort and pre-qualify before you have to have that conversation that maybe we're not a great match, maybe it's not going to work out. But how do you do that? You have to have a pre-listing package. The pre-listing package covers much of this. And, you know, it's a, at least a good start before you do the formal listing presentation. We call that the proven home selling system, which covers a lot of uh, different aspects for sellers, including what to expect. You know, why should you not overprice and hope to negotiate down. Why should you, you know, for example, reject a full price offer? Why should you not do that? You've got to actually talk about, you know, how your first offer is usually your best offer and things like that. Um, local market practices, that can be different in price ranges in different, um, you know, even in your town, right? So what works for a first time buyer might be totally different rules when you're in the luxury market you know, 10 miles away from that What, what do you house. mean by that specifically? Well, so let's say that you're used to uh, pricing something and expecting multiple offers. That only works in most areas up to a certain price range. And then there's more inventory. You're used to longer days on the market. And that's a different conversation with a higher end seller, right? That, that maybe you look that up and that's, you know, 90 days on the market even, or 180 days on the market because there's new construction kicking its butt because there's more competition. And here's where this happens on the buyer side where it hurts you. You're going to have a motivated, ready to go, dream buyer situation, buying in a perfect price range, nothing to sell, ready to go, financing approved. <laughs> buyer of your dreams. Buyer of your dreams, right? You can just basically take that buyer through the, you know, drive-through bank and basically cash out that contract. Just the second you write it, it's that solid, Right. But here's where you're going to screw this up and because you're going to be showing them in a particular neighborhood and you're not going to realize that it could just be one, one side of the street is more sellable than the other side of the street. 
One, there could be a, Julie and I uh, sold real estate in a section where there was a major gas pipeline. You remember that? <laughs> I do. And it was massive. The gas pipeline. Marathon. It was marathon oil, I thought. Yeah. Something you, like you that. You could drive like a freaking, you know. I think uh, it was a 16 foot diameter. Yeah, exactly. Huge. It, it was buried and it was underneath the ground. And it was uh, essentially, so there's this beautiful house, beautiful street of beautiful houses built by great builders. But the houses at the top of the street had this godforsaken thing going underneath the ground that was just, if you Remember think that? about it, I mean, that's just kind of freaky, well, We didn't right? even know you could do that. And then we're like, what is this on the survey? It, you remember it was something coming from oh Canada. Gosh. It was, that, but that, it only affected like those eight houses on that side of the street. Do you, but do you remember that pipeline? It was something yes. that's coming from Canada uh-huh. that actually was going down to the Gulf. Yeah. That basically, so they could show. It took a turn in that neighborhood. Yeah, it took a turn in this neighborhood. Well, so if you're doing a CMA in that neighborhood, if you're trying to, like, say, for example, you're in that neighborhood and you think you don't, you're not real, you know, knowledgeable about the, the nuanced differences between, you know, one section of the neighborhood versus the other, let alone one part of the street versus the other. And you bring a really great motivated buyer in there and you get them to, you know, you encourage them to wheel and deal on a house that's in the desirable part. Uh, because you don't know that there's nuanced differences, and this, this, you know, the seller rejects your offer and accepts somebody else, somebody else's offer. That's kind of your fault for not knowing the nuanced differences. And there was another area where, when Julie and I sold real estate, this area called uh, Clintonville Beachwold, same mm-hmm. deal. I mean, there was one one side of the street was better than the other east side or of the west. street. East or west, right? If you but are, that wasn't even true on all of the streets. There I were know. still a few good streets on the bad side and a few bad streets on the good side. And you had to drive that. You had to list it. You had to door knock it. Work the for sale by owners. The expired to have you know you have to really get to know an area. Beyond just, you know, looking at pictures in the MLS. We're not telling you all this to overwhelm you. We're telling you all this basically if you're, you know, forward thinking, you're going to be thinking to yourself, well, that nuanced difference does give me a competitive advantage in the marketplace. And it absolutely does. If, um, if you pursue that, right? So, you know, this is part of what you get paid for is your clients expect you to know more than they do. Yeah, well, and this is the reason that technology companies and agents working for technology companies that are getting paid an hourly wage will never take the time to master a location in a market like you guys will. Never. And this is the reason that you'll always be relevant in the market, provided that you make yourself of service to other people and you're able to provide that nuanced information. As you go upper end, it even gets wackier because here's the thing that happens. It's very fascinating. The really, really upper end. I'm talking, well, depending on your market, what that might be. You know, four million on up. It might be two million on up, one million on up, or ten million on up. Built buyers in that price range are incredibly, as they should be, picky mm-hmm. because that is an ego purchase in essence. It's an aspirational purchase. Nobody needs to have yeah. um, a house that's like that. They're doing it basically just just celebrate their success, celebrate yeah, and life. They're coming with, from probably a perfectly good house someplace. Exactly, or yeah. multiple perfectly yeah, good houses. Exactly. But you guys, you might walk in having this great buyer, same situation, perfect buyer. You might walk into a house and you might not realize that the architectural, uh, you know, panache of this particular house is, uh, you know, it could just be little tiny subtle things that because you're not familiar with that price range, you don't realize that that's uh, considered to be outdated amongst buyers in that price segment. And it could just be something as simple. Well, here's something interesting. And I bet you, Julie, you didn't know this. I may have told you this. Do you write, did you know, you know, Oriental rugs, right? Yep. Did you know right now those are completely out of fashion? Are and, they really? Right. And you didn't know, I didn't tell no. you that? Yeah. Rob Johnson told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Rob They're said, out, huh? yeah, he said, what are that, we replacing them with? 
Nothing. <laughs> Floors. Yeah. They were a pain in the neck. Well, no, he told me that he's going to start as because he, he does these transactions on these multiple million dollar properties. Mm-hmm. And essentially nobody, the Oriental rugs aren't a thing to have on the floor anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's just all it is is just the well, ebbs and flows sure. of fashion, right? Two mm-hmm. years from now, everyone's going to love Oriental rugs. And he was joking that he should uh, rent a warehouse someplace and start store them up, yeah, store them up again. <laughs> for the resurgence of I the know, Oriental rugs. But rug. that's very true, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, and a lot of this comes with experience. One of our, like, our new, newer agent action plans that we have in coaching is designed to get rid of that experience deficit and force them to, like, Go see 10 houses that are out of your well, normal price 90 range. 90-day massive action plan. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, it, the 90-day massive action plan, first it assesses, are you on track ahead or behind? Which for some of you guys, you don't really know how to figure that out because you didn't have goals in the first place. It brings you to those goals. And then it asks you, what do you have to earn in the next 90 days to keep the lights on? What do you have to earn to meet or achieve specific goals beyond just keeping the lights on. I mean, you could be a manager at Starbucks and keep the lights on. That's not why you got your real estate license. So it kind of brings you back to that excitement that you had. Um, and then we figure out, you know, whatever that amount of money is, divide into that your average net commission. That tells you how many deals you have to do. Where are those deals going to come from? Usually they're generated from listings. Maybe you've got some buyers you can identify, but it's an actual plan. Identify what you've got to do. Identify what's on your plate right now. And what is the difference? It's a simple math problem problem really but then you have to say all right well where's that business going to come from well then it tells them exactly what they're supposed to yes. be doing every single day Down for the next 90 schedule, days right the whole nine and it is so. part of our coaching program guys but we actually give that 90-day massive action plan when we launched our free coaching program which just be very clear it's a whisper of what the normal coaching program is but it gives you the 90-day massive action plan it gives you the ultimate agent survival guide it gives you all the the nuts and bolts of the things you guys need to do not to not just survive through this market shift but thrive through the market shift right? I mean, we whatever comes next, wherever the market's going to be next year, what we're predicting to have happen is there will be parts of the market that feel very much like a crazy boom market. Mm-hmm. There will be parts of the market that feel very much like a complete collapsing market. The word bifurcation doesn't even cover it because there's yeah. going to be segmented versions in the market that'll be a little bit of both. It's like pifurcation. Pifur- yeah. <laughs> right. We need to think of a new word, right? But that's what's going to happen. And you're going to have to have a different variety of tools. And you're going to have to know how to use those tools to solve different sorts of problems. And we are going to continue to do our best to make sure that you're overprepared for whatever comes next in the marketplace. Be excited about the changes that are happening. Be excited about the opportunity to learn. Because when you learn things that will put you and make you of service to other people, and frankly, your competitors don't, you do have an unfair advantage in the marketplace because you know things that they don't, because you are willing to take the time to learn those things when they weren't. So if you want to be part of the free coaching program, just text the word survival, just text the word survival to 31996. Now, please be clear. It's just a whisper of our normal coaching program, but it is a great way for all of you guys to get started. So just text the word survival to 31996. And when you do, we're going to text you back a link where you can activate your free membership. And then you can all, you're also going to be entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So go ahead and text the word survival to 31996. And and yes, that does include a daily semi-private, daily semi-private coaching call with one of our Harris certified coaches. Julie? Yes. Yeah, so let's bring this full circle after we've given them some accountability of, yes, it is on you to educate your buyer and seller clients in order for them to actually behave in such a way that they and then you will win. The seller will sell, the buyer will buy. Now, once you've done that, I had an interesting case on today's premier coaching call 
where it came from an agent that I know. She's in Chicago. She is very professional. She's been an investor for years herself. She had a um, kind of a relocating investor from California and did all of her normal stuff, talked about the, the market conditions, and this person wanted to buy a series of hundred to $150,000 um, rental. Those exist? In Chicago. There's, neighbor, oh, you know, we're right. back to the Midwest now. But the, the investor client was coming from California. Okay. So from beginning to end, this, quote, buyer investor has argued with our broker in question here, our coaching client, about how closings work and what the expectations are and how it should be okay to get an inspe- a copy of an inspection from two sales ago on a property. Mm. And all of these, like this, this unreasonable list of demands where she claimed that, well, that's how we do it in California, so that's what I'm asking for. Okay, so our poor broker, Which, by the way, they don't do it in California. Which they don't, and I right, said that exactly. on the call. I said, actually, no, you don't. That's made up. Really? But, um, and, and after a series of sitting down and meetings and counseling her and talking about how the market in the Midwest is different and we have actual title companies and they do some research like that and how it's, it's not typical to get a home inspection from two sales ago, this, quote, investor client, you know, just will not be coachable. She's, she just wants it her way or the highway, and she's willing to lose deals over it or not write contracts in the first place. And I asked our client in Chicago, you know, how long are you going to give yourself to knock your head into the wall trying to create something for this person who is not coachable, not compliant for you? And now I said that after I asked her a lot of questions about, did you go through the education process? Did you explain to her how things are not the same in California? And this is typical practice and that her script had been, I'm sorry, that's not available. What would you like to do? Oh, that's what she was saying. Yeah, that, right. you know, it doesn't exist. What would you like to do? She continued to close. She was doing a good job, in my opinion, as her coach. And I said, you know, maybe this is when you want to let go. Maybe this is appropriate to break up with this client if she's just not going to be coachable because this does not sound like somebody that's going to be buying anytime soon. There are minimum standards since we're focused on buyers, just like there are sellers, right? You guys, the seller minimum standards are quite simple here at Harris Coaching, right? If a seller has to sell, if they have motivation, so there's a, you know, primary difference between a buyer and seller taking a sidestep is there's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy, right? And this is the, this is really the essence of the reason Julie and I focus so intensely on the listing side of the business, because there are plenty of examples of sellers that have to sell because I'll say it again, because that for some of you will be an absolute aha moment. There are no examples of a buyer that has to buy. They never have existed, never will exist. And don't tell me 1031 tax exchanges because they can always pay the tax. Or relocation because they can rent too. That's right. And so there'll always be buyers who want to buy, never have to buy. But the flip side to it is, and that means, by the way, just you know, closing that loop, that the buyers are always going to be less motivated and less motivatable. You know, let, they'll, they're always going to have that, you know, burning desire to, well, I can go back to rent. I can just stay where I'm put, stay put. I don't have to sell. I don't have to da, 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 da. my old house. Right. Now, when on the seller side, you absolutely have sellers that have to sell. And the list of reasons that sellers have to sell is pretty much endless. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, re- you know, you have all kinds of financial reasons. You have forced relocation. You have a mortgage uh, that they can no longer afford to pay. Maybe it's on a rental property and they can't get rents to cover it. And they're tired of subsidizing the tenant's lifestyle. I mean, the list of reasons why a seller would have to sell is really, it's endless. 
That's the reason you focus on the seller side of things. But when you're working on the buyer side of things and you guys feel frustrated because here you are, you know, doing the wrong thing and buying your buyer leads, doing the wrong thing and basically not pre-qualifying your buyers to determine if they're even financially able to buy. And then you're spending all your nights and your weekends with these, essentially the buyers who are most likely going to be the first to buck as soon as interest rates go up a quarter point or an eighth point. And that's if they're even willing to do what it takes to be competitive, if that's the situation, which half of them aren't willing to do or aren't qualified to do. A half to sell seller is not going to uh, decide he doesn't have to sell because interest rates go up or because there's a presidential election or fill in the blank. But a buyer, buyers will. Buyers are the ones that are going to drive you guys uh, crazy. And And your job is going to be to sort and sift through all the buyer leads that you get when you learn how to basically become a listing agent, the best way to generate buyer leads, assuming you want them in the first place, is to be a listing agent. And you have to sort of beat the buyers off the stick. You'll get so many buyer leads. But learn how to be a listing agent. Generate your own buyer leads. And then you have to be very efficient at deciding which ones you're going to work with and which ones you aren't going to work with. And you have to follow a set of a minimum standard rules. And we have minimum standard rules that we teach all of our coaching clients when you're deciding to, you know, obviously I talked about the seller side of things. Do they have to sell? What's their motivation? Is it have to or want to? You know, what? how much do they owe? All those types of things. On the buyer side of things, knowing that there's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy, your minimum standards for, for a buyer is are going to be relative simple, um, but they're also going to be, you know, unfortunately flexible because buyers can always change their mind. The first one is, are they completely approved subject to the appraisal of the property? And we've talked about that yeah, a lot on a this lot. podcast. Are Do they have realistic expectations of what they can afford? Do, are they just basically completely out of touch with reality? Remember, these are buyers. The next one is, how do they act and react when you tell them about a listing? Are they lackadaisical, not getting back with you right away, or are they urgent? And what are the other uh, buyer minimum standards? Well, you know, are they willing to do what it takes to be competitive, even if they have rock star financing? Right. You know, do they have the ability to do what it takes? Are they willing to do that? Do they understand uh, that? Emotionally and financially yeah, ability, that's right? right. Or, do they, or do they fight you because they think they know better because they watched an episode of HGTV where that's not how it went? Or the example yeah. Julie was just giving about that investor out of California looking to buy things in Chicago. Realistic expectations right. of how she, it's going to go. She might be financially able but she's not emotionally able evidently or psychologically, psychologically she's got, right yeah. it's not going to happen so that agent who has you know multiple sales in their eyes of oh, i'm going to sell this person endless number of houses is going to probably end up selling that uh investor no houses uh, just for all the reasons that we're stating and so and also it takes her time away from people who do act like real buyers so we talked about this in premiere when and in no, our book Yes. Now, it is easier for our more experienced agents to do this, to use this filter, which is why we work to get experience into our coaching clients as fast as possible, because here's what you do. If you have some experience and you're having these questions like, what should I do? Should I break up with this client? Are they the real deal or aren't they? Okay. Ask yourself, of the buyers who have bought with you, who have been successful, how did this person act versus them? When you bring them a listing that is exactly what they asked for, do you have to track them down for two or three calls to get to see it and then lose out because you weren't the first showing? Or are they like, yeah, let's go right now. I'm ready to rumble. That's a real good. Use your filter, right? That's a real good gut check. Assuming yeah. you guys have had closings, right? Some of you are new, so you haven't had any. Right. Go look at the past closings, the past, say, 10 or 20 closings you've had over whatever time frame it's been, right? A year, you know, whatever, maybe last month. And then ask yourself what the motivation was for all those buyers or all those sellers. Those sellers are the same way too, right? right. So is this listing that I seem to be butting heads with and won't let me price it right, 
Are they acting like somebody who actually wants to sell? No, has to sell. Has to sell. Or do they have to sell or do they want to sell? Because are they people trying to... who have to sell act differently than people who are just trying it out. Right. And you know the ones that are just, they, they tell you, Mr. it's a script, right? It's, it's Mr. their script. Mr. Seller, do you have to sell? Is What happens if this property doesn't sell is one of our scripts, right? Yep. And if they say, well, nothing, we'll just stay put. Or, you know, we can just turn it into a rental. Or I have to get my price. Right. If Love you that. hear that, then that's a want to. Yeah. And some of the, the biggest pains in the butt one-twos are the downsizers, which unfortunately oh, yes. is a big segment of the market, right? So uh, a downsizer is a great uh, potential seller, but one of the keys to getting a downsizer to actually price it to the market is going to be, you know, look for obvious signs. Are they packing the house? Are they <laughs> right. taking direction from you when you give them feedback about the condition? Are they removing the 1970s wallpaper? It might be 1990s wallpaper now. We need right? to bring our examples up to date. Either I mean, one has yeah, to go. Exactly. Both. All of it, All wallpaper has to go. There's your rule. I mean, are they doing those types of activities? And here's the best way. Are they actually looking to where they're going to move next? Could you put them in contract on something, new construction or otherwise? That's going to be your surefire sign that a downsizer well, is finally... Do they even want to look at it? You know, yep. maybe they haven't broken up with their existing house, which is the quintessential downsizer issue. Right. Unlike move up buyers, okay, or relocation, the downsizer is losing something. They're getting less than and what they've got. So here's really the bottom line to all of these types of, you know, conundrums really is what they are, mm-hmm. is if you generate, you do not have to tolerate. Amen. If you generate, you do not have to tolerate. Can I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, now, but assuming that you've asked that. the questions, Right. right. So the more you generate, the more choice you have and the more experience you have so that you'll hear in between the scripts and the answers, you'll hear, you know what? This person isn't really acting all that motivated. They're not really answering my questions straight. They're not really giving me anything to work with. That's different than somebody says, you know what? I need your help because I got to move to Atlanta tomorrow. But if you generate leads. When you generate enough, right. right? You don't feel, so agents that don't generate enough feel like they have to work one or two individual leads to the death, right? They're going to make it happen. Because, and they're not going to pre-qualify. Yeah, right. No, they just want the business. They're not going to ask t- tough questions that might result in dis- self-discovery that this buyer well, or the seller are, are not motivated. Right. Because you guys don't have enough options to choose from, right? <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. So you're desperate to make whatever's in front of you work. Meanwhile, you're wasting your time on some of that because you're not talking to people who really, honest to God, do need your help. That's right. And that's the reason, ultimately, the success or failure of your business is predicated on on a whole bunch of things. But the biggest thing being is your willingness to proactively lead generate. Because if you proactively lead generate and you know that you can any day, right, you can create your own powerful primarily listing leads from the things we teach you in the coaching program. If that's what you you know you can do that, then if someone shows up on your radar, you're almost going to be looking for reasons not to work with them mm-hmm. by asking them tough pre-qual questions. And you're then going to discover, like, here, I'll tell you guys a surefire sign that you've got a learning deficit and, and that you need to think about. If you have got a big crap ton of leads, mm-hmm. you're doing something wrong. If you think your business, you're, what you're supposed to be doing is generating a bunch of leads from online lead generation and throwing them into CRM and dripping on them, you're doing something wrong. Well, I wouldn't even call them leads, really. No, they're not. They're just names. But for a whole bunch of reasons, what you're really trying to avoid is having questions that are going to result in you determining whether these people are motivated or not. You should never have a lot of leads. You should have very few leads. Agents who have a lot of leads are also the ones that sell 
the fewest number of houses. Seems counterintuitive, isn't it? Because here's the thing. You've all been convinced that leads have value. Leads have no value. In of themselves, they're just names, right? Names on pieces of paper or, you know, emails or texts or whatever. They have no value. But a pre-qualified where you asked all the right questions, primarily seller but also buyer, who are following our, you know, a motivation guidelines and rules that we teach you in the coaching program, those have leads and those have real value, right? And so learn to basically pre-qualify that way. You do not have to tolerate the frustration that comes from working with folks that are not motivated. And then you will stop blaming them when you magically aren't able to successfully sell them a house. Here's a little secret. I do not care how good you think you are at selling anything. You're never going to sell a house to somebody that is not motivated or list a house that in result in a successful sale that is not motivated. It it's will impossible. never happen, right? It won't. So Yeah, you- well, and and related to that, your most difficult, combative, just miserable, abusive, abusive, horrible clients, okay, yep. will be the ones that you should not have taken on in the first place that you did take on because you didn't bother to pre-qualify. And because you felt you didn't have enough options. And so you go from, oh my God, I finally have this person that might want to list their house someday with me, even though they don't check any of the boxes for motivation. And then you start going and helping them do this and that and the other thing, wasting endless amounts of time and you stop generating new business. Whereas if you generated that that lead popped up on your radar, you asked the right questions, you determined they weren't motivated. You look, if you want to put them a long-term lead follow-up thing at that point, go for it but it's a waste of time. Move on to the next one. Look for the people that actually have to sell sellers. And here's again, this goes to the unfair advantage that you have when you have skills, when you know actually how to be professional, is all the other agents out there are following that same lazy pattern of taking leads, putting them in long-term lead follow-up and hoping and praying, you know, some, some bubble up one day where they can sell a house. Whereas a real true professional knows how to proactively lead generate every day, then knows what questions to ask to determine whether they're going to work with them or not, and then knows how to carry that ball into the end zone so they can actually transact. That's what we teach you in our coaching program. Anything else you'd like to say, Mrs. Harris? Yeah, I mean, you know, it may seem like we're almost overcoaching you right now, but here's the thing. This is so critical, especially in a changing market. Oh my gosh, Because here's the thing. These guys can have been a little bit lazy about this. Definitely. And the market covered your butt. In a seller's market. In a seller's market, it covered your butt because an aspirationally priced seller could usually get it. We're starting to see that not happen anymore. We're starting to see, you know, appraisals be cut by 80 grand, 100 grand. It's not working anymore. So the importance of you working with people who actually have to transact versus are just trying the market out, totally different. And you're already starting to feel it. I can tell by the nature of questions that I get in Premier Coaching, totally different, lots more strategy. So we are trying to get you ahead in your thought process so that you don't have to suffer with too much of this type of consternation. So in conclusion, yes, sometimes it is appropriate to break up with a seller or a buyer, but make sure that you have done your due diligence with your questions and that it's not your fault that they're misbehaving. And then follow the rules to start. If you don't have any rules, uh, then- Sign up for coaching. We can take for care coaching. of you. Right, I mean, that's the bottom line. Sorry, that's and then, what we do. Yeah, and then guys, just frankly, do not deviate from what we teach you to do. Use the scripts exactly the way they're written. Dear God, I said scripts. 
Here, this will be, I'll say it a different way, conversation outlines. There, does that make it easy? Yes, and you're not prospecting. You're just lead generating. That's right. We're not prospecting. Oh, no, we're not doing that. I know some of you will never prospect. So we're going to call it lead generation. See how psychologically it makes it a little bit more palatable? In the meantime, if you guys need us for anything, if you want to talk with Julie and I, oh, I needed to say thank you to Inman News. They've done a number of feature articles on Julie and I. Here's my iWatch ringing again. Um, and uh, They've done a number of articles uh, featuring us in the past month. There's one that came out today, which is great. How to Survival Market Shift, Protect Yourself. Um, is the Inman interview with Tim and Julie Harris, if you guys haven't read that yet. Um, and again, thank you for Inman News Features for uh, showing the love. I really appreciate it. We certainly reciprocate as often as we can. Inman pretty much is the go-to news source for all things real estate, as I'm sure you guys, well, residential real estate, as I'm sure you guys will agree. But in the uh, interim, if you guys want to join EXP, if you want to be part of our EXP family, if you literally want to partner with Julie and I at EXP and be part of our group, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. And if you just want to, if you're getting ready to get started and you want just information on EXP, we've made that easy for you as well. And here's what you got to do. Just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. And when you do, we're going to text you back a real quick nine-minute video that covers all the, um, the essentially the reasons why you're going to want to join EXP. If you're ready to join EXP, you're ready to move the ball into the end zone as we were just talking about, please do feel free to text me directly at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.